Hello, friends. Time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Ray Delnick, a professor of Jewish Studies and Bible and academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. And this is Moody Radio's Bible Study Across America. It's where Moody answers your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. Let me give you that call again. 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to openlineradio.org. Click on the link that says Ask Michael a Question, fill out the form, and your question will be added to the mailbag. We're going to go to the phones. Now's a great time to call, beginning of the hour. Uh, so 877-548-3675. But before we go to the phones, I want to talk about our current resource. We need to read and study God's Word, obviously, but at times it is a challenge for us to understand. And that's why I love Pastor Colin Smith's book, Ten Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a small book, but it gives a big picture of how to read the Bible. It helps us unlock a deeper understanding of the scriptures. It will make us get more out of our time in the Word, and it's a simple and helpful guide. It's really easy to read, and I hope you'll get a copy of it. I think it's going to be great. The way to get it is just give a gift of any size to OpenLine, and we want to say thank you and send you a copy of 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's just a way for us to say thank you, and we really appreciate you. If you'd like to give a gift, call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give, be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the Bible. We're going to speak with Barbara in Akron, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Barbara. How can I help you? Oh, thank you. Um I've heard lots of people talk about the discipline of God, but I've never heard between Bible teachers or callers them explain what happened in their life where they knew a certain situation was discipline versus other mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So how do, we, how do we distinguish it? So here's the first thing we need to define, and that's discipline. Uh, Sometimes we think that discipline is only corrective. Do you ever realize that? It's not always corrective. It comes from the word disciple or learner. There are times where we can learn to walk closer with the Lord, where it's not like something is really bad in our life. He may just put us through something that's a challenge so that we can learn to walk closer with him. So uh, discipline has sort of a twofold effect. I'll give you an example of just as a parent parent with discipline uh, because it says in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines us as a father disciplines his children, right? So when my son was a teenager, uh, here's what I would do with him in the morning when he was in high school. We'd get up really early because high school starts early. I'd get up early with him. I'd go into his room, and uh, we would lift weights together for about 15 minutes. Uh, And we did four sets of two different exercises each time, so about eight sets of exercises. And we did weightlifting together. And then 
I would go downstairs to our kitchen, get the coffee started, and he would get showered and ready for school, and then we would get together, and we would read the Bible together every morning for a few minutes before he headed off to school. And now, there was nothing wrong in his life. What was I doing, though? I was teaching him discipline. I was disciplining him. Not like there was a problem, but I was putting him through a regular discipline, physically and spiritually, the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible. And we would talk about it. We studied Bible books, whole Bible books together for just about 15 or 20 minutes every morning before he headed off to school. The reason I point that out is that there wasn't a problem in my son's life, but I was still disciplining him. Is that right? Right. And, yeah. And so, oh, that, so that's why it's really important. Now, if there is a problem, I, I also knew how, and my parents really especially knew how to discipline me because I, I, I needed a lot more discipline in terms of correction. Uh, one aspect of discipline is direction, to you know, head someone in the right direction. And then secondly, there was also correction. When someone's veering off the path, help get them back on the path. Do you see that? So when we look at God's discipline, he does both with us. He gives us direction. Sometimes there's hardships, some difficulties. It's not because there's anything particularly wrong in our life. Uh, uh, It might be an illness. It might be some sort of uh, aspect of our life or difficulty at work or something like that. It's not because there's something wrong, but it teaches us discipline. It directs us to depend on the Lord. And then the... The other possibility is maybe those same kind of situations are there because we may be veering off the path. As we seek our life, we say, oh, God's drawing me closer to him to correct me for this problem in my life, and I'm going to be corrected and move closer. I'll tell you the one thing God never does. He never punishes us because if we know him, there's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Jesus, and therefore he never acts punitively with us. He only seeks to correct or direct us. Is that helpful? That, oh, yes. That does it. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Thanks so much for your call, Barbara. Uh, God's always working in our lives, and that's that's what I think you recognize. Uh, We're going to talk next with Lori in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Lori. How can I help you? Good morning, Michael. Maybe you can finally answer this for me. You know how when we are all taken up in the rapture, then from the tribulation all the way through the millennium, there won't be any believers left. And all those generations in the millennium, who is going to share the gospel with them since there won't be any of us there? So they won't go into the lake of fire. Okay, here's the the way God's going to do this. I really believe that one of the things that we need to do is we need to keep sharing the gospel with Jewish people. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen, but uh, if we share the gospel with Jewish people, even when they don't believe, I believe after the rapture what Revelation 7 happens is that God has chosen 144,000. Maybe they'll pick up attract. Uh, That's 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each tribe. 
maybe they'll pick up a track. Maybe they'll pick up a book. Maybe they'll pick up a Bible. Maybe they'll just remember what was told to them in previous uh, uh, years before the rapture. And these 144,000 are going to become believers. And it says that they are then sealed. uh, And sealing has to do with identification and protection. And they won't be harmed. And they are servants of God. But it doesn't say how they'll serve in Revelation 7. But then if you pick up verse 9, it talks about that there's a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language who know the Lord and stand before the Lamb. Well, it seems to me that the reason that there are so many believers from every nation, tribe, and and tongue, right, is because the 144,000 become the evangelists of the tribulation period, and they win many people to the Lord. So uh, I believe that uh, we engaging in Jewish work is, in a sense, prophetic ministry. Even when people don't believe, there's going to be 144,000 who do believe after the rapture, and they will become the evangelists of the tribulation period. Okay? Okay. So that means that a lot of those will be witnessing to the people in the millennium also, correct? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to be believers uh, at the end of the tribulation, like, for example, Israel, who calls on Jesus, they will, uh, the nation will believe in him, and they will enter the millennium without having been resurrected or glorified. And there will also be the nations. You have the judgment of the nations, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, and there will be Gentile nations that enter the kingdom without yet being glorified but being believers, and they are the ones that are going to marry, and they'll have children, and they will then uh, be proclaiming the good news even in the millennium. So... Anyway, so thanks so much for your call, Laurie. We're going to go to a break here. Uh, you can give us a call, 877-548-3675. If you have a question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life, this is the time to give us a call, 877-548-3675. My name is Michael Rydelnik. You're listening to Open Line. We'll be right back with more of our Bible study across America. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you're listening today. Uh, so my friend William Washington, the vice president and uh, dean of student life at Moody Bible Institute, he's really, he's on my case. He was saying, okay, Michael, he called a couple of weeks ago. You may have heard it. How many kitchen table partners are there? And I didn't know. I had to ask Trisha. And uh, Trisha told me uh, as a couple of weeks ago, there were about, 538 kitchen table partners. And William Washington then said, we're going to pray that God will double the impact and see if we can expand open line on many, many more stations. And uh, he's he's got a great vision for it and has really challenged me about that. So he is praying and challenging people to consider becoming a kitchen table partner. I'd be so grateful if you would consider that. But I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm grateful for every listener. And 
if you would like to become a Kitchen Table Partner, the only reason I would like for you to do that is if this program has been an encouragement, a help to you, if it's helped you grow in your walk with the Lord, that's really my desire and goal for you. And if that's the case, then maybe you'd consider becoming a Kitchen Table Partner. And, you know, William wants us to have a thousand Kitchen Table Partners by next September. May it be. Uh, but the main thing is, may it really have an impact in the lives of thousands and thousands of people who listen to Open Line, uh, that there'll be people who will come to know the Lord and many people who will grow in the Lord as they listen to Open Line and study God's Word. If you'd like to become a kitchen table uh, partner, one of the exclusive things we do is we send you a uh, Bible study moment every other week in your email. You click on it. It's just a brief Bible study, something to encourage you in your walk with the Lord or better understanding of the Scriptures. It's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. You can become a kitchen table partner today and give monthly to Open Line and, and be part of that family of, of listeners that get the Bible study moments by calling 888-644-7122 or you can sign up online at openlineradio.org. We're going to go right back to the phones now. And Krista is listening in central Minnesota on KTIG. Welcome to Open Line, Krista. How can I help you? Good morning. Um, so there's a passage in the Bible that I it just struck me weird when I was reading, oh, several months ago. Love listening to your show. I love your insight, um, but unfortunately I don't get to listen weekly. So I apologize if you've already come across this or explained this. But in Well, listen, four, uh, Krista, we only answer questions for people who listen weekly. So I'm sorry. We, no, no, no. <laughs> there we go. Oh, perfect. Uh, okay. Um, so in, in Exodus 4, um, the 20, verse 24 through 26, um, just prior to that, Mo, the Lord was talking to Moses and telling him to go to Pharaoh. And then in that verse, it starts that they had to stop somewhere, and the Lord tried to kill Moses. And then his wife cut off his son's foreskin and touched it on his feet. And it just really seems super out of touch with the rest of the story. So I'm wondering if you have some insight on that. I'll do my best with that. But I do want to mention something else about, you know, I, I don't listen to radio all that much. I do listen to Moody Radio when I'm driving in the car and stuff like that. But I, I want to tell you something that I often listen to and that I listen to podcasts. And so uh, it's a way that I really get my regular listening in on uh, various programs that I want to be sure to hear. And so I just wanted to let you know that uh, you can get Open Line as a podcast on your smartphone. All you have to do is go to the App Store, uh, type in open line with Michael Rydelnik or put in my name, but there's a variety of ways it comes up and then you can get a regular podcast of the program. So even if you can't listen on Saturday mornings, you can listen at, you know, at your choice whenever you want. Uh, and that's a great way of doing it. And there's also the Moody radio app. That's a great thing to have. You can listen to anything on Moody radio anytime you want. And that's uh, a great help. And also you can go online and listen as well. But those are some ways that even if you can't listen on the Saturday morning, you can still listen to Open Line. I hope that will be something that you can take advantage of. Okay, Acts, uh, Exodus 4. Uh, this is after Moses' call, and God sends him to Egypt, and Moses uh, starts off on his trip, and it says the Lord confronted him and sought to put him to death. Why? Why? because he had not 
circumcised his son. So Zipporah took a flint, and she circumcised her son, took her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. She said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So God, he let Moses, him, alone. At that time, she said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, referring to the circumcision. Here's what's going on here is God was had called Moses to go back and be the leader, the, the leader of Israel, uh, the man of God. And yet the most basic commandment that God gave the Jewish people is to circumcise their sons on the eighth day. So here's Moses going back to lead the people of God out of Egypt, and he hasn't even obeyed this basic command. And it's one of the problems with being a leader. You know, if you're a leader, you have to be obedient. It's not enough just to say, I want to lead. We have to be followers of God, and we have to be obedient to him. And that's a really crucial aspect of Moses. He had to do this. Now, Zipporah wasn't uh, from that same background. Uh, It's not the woman's responsibility to do the circumcision. And yet, because Moses was disobedient in this, she takes up the task, she does it, and she doesn't like it, but she does it to save her her husband so he can actually accomplish the purposes that God has for him. And so it's one of those things, it's a great lesson, I think, of the responsibility of leaders to be obedient to God's word before they go off to lead, that uh, character and obedience are a key responsibility of leaders, not just the task that's before them. Okay? That's fantastic, and, and what a great... I, I thank you so much for all that background, and it's another wonderful um, woman story that so many people think that the Bible is all about men, and there's so many stories of women in there doing amazing things, too, so that's fantastic. Yeah. Don't you think it's so, it's so realistic, though? She does what Moses was supposed to do, but it's not like she does it without getting annoyed at him, right? <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very. it's a very human story, but it, it's a great reminder for us. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so much for your call, Krista. I appreciate it. We're going to talk next with uh, Tina in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Tina. How can I help you? Hey, hey, Michael. How are you? I am um, well. We have a we have a conversation at work all the time about the Bible, mm-hmm. and my question is: Who says that the Sabbath day is a Saturday? My, and this is just my opinion, I, I just feel that the Sabbath, the Sabbath day is whatever seventh day you should rest. Just like I have to work on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So does that make me less of a child of God because I have to work on a Saturday? So my conclusion was whatever that seventh day or whatever any seventh day is, that you just rest on that day. Mm-hmm. Is that your is question? seventh you... day on a Saturday. Okay. Well, the Sabbath day is Saturday. That's it. Uh, God rested on the, on the Sabbath day, and the seventh day is the Sabbath day. However, uh, the, the book of Romans, chapter 14, talks about one man honors one day above another, another views them all alike. Let each man be convinced in his own mind. And I think the principle we get from Sabbath in the Old Testament is that we need a day 
for physical rest and spiritual renewal. Everyone needs that. That's what the Sabbath was designed to accomplish. And so today, as followers of Jesus, what we have to do is choose to have a Sabbath day, as you describe it, not necessarily, it's not bad to do it on Saturday if a person wants to do that or if a congregation wants to do that. A lot of Messianic congregations that I've been part of uh, meet on Saturdays and they worship on Saturdays and people rest on Saturdays. However, the point of it is a person needs a Sabbath. As someone, uh, like for example, when I led a Messianic congregation, I worked really hard on Saturdays. You know, I met with people and I I preached and I led worship and I did all sorts of stuff on Saturdays. And so I had to take a Sabbath for rest on another day. Do you follow? So I think your principle is true. Yeah. Uh, we just need to follow the principle of taking a day for rest and spiritual renewal. I hope that helps, Tina. It does. Good. Thanks Thank so much so for your much. call. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to talk next, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> with Barbara in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Listening online. Welcome to Open Line, Barbara. How can I help you? Hey, um, I've been pondering something lately. Um, the difference between an offense and having your feelings hurt. Is there a difference? Uh, do you think Jesus ever had his feelings hurt as a man? And if we as Christians take an offense or have our feelings hurt, are we still kind of immature? Have we not matured yet? I've just been pondering these these thoughts. What do you think? Well, I'd, I'm trying to think biblically about this. Uh, I think it's really you know, some people are have their feelings hurt more easily than others. But I think what you're talking about as an offense is a, a stumbling block. I think that's really the biblical term for what we're talking about. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, when Paul talks about uh, food that's been offered to idols, you know, meat sacrifice to idols, and now it's being available in the local Zeus's butcher shop. And there were some believers who were going to Zeus's butcher shop and buying Zeus burgers. And uh, other believers who had been pagan at one time, they were deeply offended by that. Their feelings were hurt. They didn't think anyone should do it. Now, what I think is interesting is Paul describes those people whose feelings were hurt as people as having a weak or immature conscience. Do you follow that? That was a, yeah. that was immaturity, but he says we shouldn't be provide a stumbling block for them. So what does it mean to stumble someone? To stumble someone is to te- to violate their cause them to violate their conscience. You see, it's okay if they don't want to eat meat sacrificed to idols. You, we don't want to be. They didn't. Paul says you shouldn't be in a position to force them to do that. That's putting a stumbling block before them. So you don't want to do that. You don't want them to violate their conscience. They should follow their conscience. He's not saying we can't annoy people. So I think when I think about someone who annoyed others, 
particularly religious people, who was the most annoying person to religious leaders? Jesus. The way he dealt with Sabbath, the way he dealt with hand washing, uh, the way he, he talked. Boy, the religious leaders of his day got awfully annoyed with them. They especially didn't like, they were annoyed about who he hung out with, with, with uh, tax gatherers, with people involved in a sinful lifestyle. Jesus was there acting redemptively. But the religious leaders, they, they didn't like that. They got annoyed with him, didn't they? So mm-hmm. I think we need to distinguish between annoying people which sometimes it's the right thing to do, believe it or not. If we're going to care for people uh, and do it well, like Jesus did, or teach the Bible appropriately, it's going to annoy some people. On the other hand, what we don't want to do is cause them to stumble or to violate their conscience. Do do you follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, for example, some people get annoyed with believers having Christmas trees. That's okay. They can get annoyed at that because it's not going to make them get a Christmas tree. They're just going to get annoyed at you for having one, let's say. On the other hand, uh, what you don't want to do is you find out someone does, is really against Christmas trees, and you go and you try to persuade them, go get a Christmas tree. You need a Christmas tree. Well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to stumble them. Let them follow their conscience. That's what the issue is. But uh, So I always try to distinguish between annoying people and violating their conscience. Does that make sense to you, I hope, Barbara? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Good. Well, thanks so much for your call. We're going to be right back with more of your calls. In fact, Trish is coming in with the FEBC mailbag in just a moment. Stay with us. What do you know? Here comes Trisha McMillan. She's got the FEBC mailbag. We're so grateful that the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company is partnering with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line. You can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon. All the details for this and more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at febc.org. That's F. E-B-C.org, F-E-B-C.org. Hey, Trisha. Hi. Hey. So uh, we made it back. We had a wonderful time in Indianapolis last week. Uh, it was great with a live audience. I had so much fun. I can't tell you. Uh, how about you? It was great. Everyone yeah. there was um, very responsive. Uh, yeah. When, when we go, in a good, like, when we go to these events, I cue them a little behind the scenes secret here i cue everybody to clap and they Mm. were on top of it like i clapped they clapped very vigorously and they were fantastic and then i would stop and tell them to settle and they would i mean they were quiet for the like minute full minute before we went back on the air each time it was it was wonderful everyone did great um they had great questions um it was a lot of fun it was yeah, fun to meet fun. so many yeah, people. It was great. And you left and I stayed. I did. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I had three more hours of teaching about the fall feasts of Israel. It was great fun. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So anyway, it was fun to do a live event. I'm grateful for the folks out in Indy for coming out. And uh I guess we had about four hundred people there. So it was it was pretty yeah, special. It's a lot so, of people. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, uh, let, let's go to the mailbag. All right. Our first question is from Susan on Facebook, writes, Acts 5 and Acts 9 both mention a man named Ananias. Are these two different men with the same name, or are they the same man? Well, uh, I suppose It's not a name a person... we see a lot in the Bible, so the fact that it shows no. up twice is a little yeah. interesting. Well, I just want to say... Uh, it is since Acts 5 Ananias there is disciplined by God and his life is taken uh, it's unlikely that he's the same person in Acts 9 it's not uh, a flashback no it's not a flashback okay. Acts 5 is uh, very early in the church uh, it's it's a reminder of, of sort of like uh, Achan in the book of Joshua uh, the dishonesty, lying to the Holy Spirit by Ananias and Sapphira. So I, I would just venture that this is a more common name in the first century than it is uh, now. And then Ananias goes in Acts 9 much later, and he is the one, and he's not even in Jerusalem. This is the Ananias who is over in Damascus that opens the eyes of Saul. Uh, the Lord has him lay hands on him, right? Yes. So... So it's a different person. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When the uh, names, know, here's when one of the things I, were, yeah. I, I find that people see names repeated in the Bible and they want to say that everyone with the same name is the same person. But, you know, I, I just look at our faculty at Moody Bible Institute. How many of us are named Michael? <laughs> so It was a popular name. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the thing is, just because there's a lot of us named Michael, we have surnames today, but they didn't in the Bible usually. So that's that's why. And I think when you're when it's a name that you are not used to seeing in any yeah. language that is not your native tongue, I think it, you also pay more attention. And we say, you know, all the time when a word is repeated in the Bible, <laughs> pay yeah. special attention. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you see the names. Yeah. But I mean, there were several disciples. Uh, there were two disciples named Jacob, which the Bible then translates James, but their names were Jacob. Uh, which is why you have the, James the Lesser. Yeah. Or the Less. Uh, yeah. Then someone, oh, I, I got a great text from Michael Van Lanningham <laughs> last week. Yes. Someone on the radio called him uh, Michael the Lesser. And I said, never, never. He's not Lesser. He's just the other Michael. There we go. <laughs> And when he's around, I'm the other Michael. Right. That's it. So, right. Yeah, that's it. Okay. All right. Thank you for that question, Susan. Jeanette in Illinois listens to WMBI and said um, she has tried to figure out why or how the book of Hebrews got its name and has been unable to find anything conclusive. And so she says, I'm asking the expert. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, Trisha, better answer <laughs> Uh, so the book of Hebrews is named that because it was written uh, just when you see the the issue that's going on. He's making the case that the Messiah of Israel is better than anything. That's the point. Uh, it goes back and compares the Messiah to the prophets, to angels, which are very important in first century Judaism, that the Messiah, Jesus, is better than Moses, that he's better than Aaron and the priesthood, and therefore they should hold fast to him. So 
it's and he says you have come to Zion, which is Jerusalem. That's another word for Jerusalem. It leads, uh, it led the earliest church to believe that this was written to Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Jesus, some of whom were thinking about, because of persecution, abandoning their faith. So because of that, it was called the Hebrews, which is another term for Jewish people in the first century. Okay. So, okay. All right, thank you. Next question is from Grant in Tennessee, who listens on WMBW. He says, I've gained a greater understanding of the word by listening to you on Moody Radio, and I always get excited when I hear you or that the two Michaels will be on. Since you just referenced the two Michaels. Yeah, Um, two Michaels, yeah. Which is is heard um, on Chris Fabry Live during the week. It's a daily program. So if you're not familiar, uh, Michael and the other Michael show up uh, about once a month. Once a month. Yeah. on Chris Fabry Live to answer Bible questions like this. Um, he wants to know, can you please explain Psalm 82? Mm. Well, I'm guessing he wants to know uh, about, there's, there's a lot in Psalm 82. Yeah. It's a short uh, psalm. Yeah. It's only eight there's, verses. It's what Jesus quotes when he says, you are God's. Uh, and he says, I and the Father are one, and people get upset. And he says, well, the scriptures say that you are God, so why should you get upset with me for claiming it? Here's what Psalm 82 is about. There are some people who want to make it sort of like a heavenly court with uh, sub-gods within it, but I don't, and, and there was a kind of a famous teacher who's now with the Lord who was saying that. Uh, uh, I think what this is talking about is earthly judges representing God. God takes his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods. And uh, it's it's basically the heavenly beings or the earthly rulers. I think that's it. He judges among the earthly rulers. Uh, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Who's that? The earthly rulers. Provide justice to the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Uh, Save them from the power of the wicked. They do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. What that means is that you are representing God. You are earthly rulers and you are judges and you have to do it righteously because you are representing God. And I think Jesus' point in John 10 is, if God can call earthly rulers who represent him, God, how much more can the Son of God, who is genuinely, eternally God, how much more can he be called God than those who were just representing him as earthly rulers? That's the point of Psalm 82, that it's referring to earthly rulers. By the way, uh, this is not the first place that the word God, Elohim, is used for earthly rulers. In Exodus 21, uh, verse 6, this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, It says, when a man, uh, if a slave declares, verse 5, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I do not want to leave as a free man after his term of service is up. His master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost. This is the famous passage where 
the bondservant has his ear pierced and he stays with his master forever, right? But here's what's interesting. When it says bring him to the judges, it literally is bring him to Elohim, to God. Hmm. Because, again, the earthly judges represented God. So uh, this is the idea that earthly, and that's what I think Psalm 82 is based on. So Okay. okay? All right. Good. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a break. Okay. Thank you, Tricia, for You're bringing welcome. those questions in. Uh, we're going to be right back with more of your questions. This is our last segment coming up, so try to answer some of the people who have called in. This is Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and Tricia McMillan. We'll be right back, so don't go away. Welcome back, friends. In Psalm 122.6, the psalmist exhorted us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Unfortunately, we don't often think to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and that's why Chosen People Ministries' new calendar is a great reminder. This year's calendar not only gives us beautiful photos of Israel, breathtaking photos, but also prayer prompts so we can know to remember to pray for the people of Israel and the Jewish people around the world every month. Uh, you can get a free copy of the Chosen People Ministries Jewish Art Calendar. All you have to do is go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. And you scroll down, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your very own free copy of the 2023-24 Messianic Jewish Art Calendar from Chosen People Ministries. And we're going to, this is the lightning round. Let's see how many questions I can answer right now. We're going to start with Harold in Chicago, Illinois, uh, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Harold. How can I help you? Hi, Dr. Rodonik. So I have a probably difficult question, at least according to Dr. R.C. Sproul. He said that he could not answer the question of where did evil come from because he said free will and choice doesn't solve the previous disposition. I'm quoting from him. Of that, so wait, wait. Well, so where I, 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 I always prefer not being told what R.C. Sproul says because what do I know? You know, uh, just just go ahead and ask your question, and I'll see if I can answer it. So okay? it's too simple to say free will or choice. Where does evil come wait, wait, from? Wait, wait, Harold, 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 Harold. Don't tell me what I can't say. Just ask me what your question is, okay? What? <laughs> don't tell me what's too simple. Okay, so what's your question? Okay, well, where does evil come from? Ah, there we go. That's it. Okay. So uh, I appreciate you uh, reading R.C. Sproul. And the, th the only thing I can say is that there's no mention of where evil comes from. There's no explanation, except that God obviously, or he's not the author of evil, but it speaks about in Ezekiel 28, when Satan falls, that he uh, was built, created, perfect, but evil was found in you. That's what it says. Uh, it says, from the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. 
And so that's what I would say, is that God made Satan, I believe that's directed to Satan, that God made Satan perfect, but he gave him the capability of choosing evil, and that's what he chose. And he took two-thirds of the, uh, one-third of the angels with him, and uh, they fell, and that's, then of course that leads, God created Adam and Eve perfect, they chose to disobey because God gave them the ability to choose. God is sovereign, but this is what God did. So that seems to me where evil comes from. And then, of course, people start saying, well, God is sovereign. How how are people responsible? The truth of it is the Bible says that God did not create evil, uh, and therefore I'm just going to go with what the text says. Okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, we're going to talk with Karen in Elgin, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Karen. How can I help you? Thank you. Um, I'm a grandmother. I took a class at our community college uh, last year, and one of the girls wrote a poem about um, a woman named Lilith, who in the poem she said was Adam's first wife, and because she rebelled against Adam, uh, then Eve came on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I spoke up and I said, well, that's not in the Bible. And uh, one of the guys in the class said, well, in Isaiah thirty-four fourteen, 14, um, the end of the, the verse, it says, the hairy goat also shall cry to its kind. Yes, the night monster shall settle there and shall find herself a resting place. And when I looked up Lilith in my Bible program, this is the verse that came up. And so I don't know if it's what they're talking about was based on a TV show or, or what. Can you give any insight on that? Sure. The word uh, Lilith in Hebrew, Lilith, uh, is kind of unclear. But in the context, it talks about wild animals, wild dogs. Since the word Lilith, uh, wild goats, but then it appears to be uh, Lilith is related to the word night, Lila. In Hebrew, they're the same Hebrew letters. Uh, that the it refers to, I think, in context, some sort of nocturnal animal. So, uh, one version that I have, the Holman tra- uh, translate to the screech owl. Uh, the New American Standard that you read calls it a night monster, but uh, I think it's more of a nocturnal animal, is what I would say. Uh, later on, because of a, an Akkadian language uh, uh, they, where it's used of a demon, a night demon, uh, it's a, later Jewish stories began to develop this idea that, that there was some demon that uh, existed, sort of the female counterpart to Satan, and uh, her name was Lilith, and that's from Jewish legends, but uh, unlikely, I think all it means here is a night, a nocturnal animal. Okay, Karen? Okay. So okay. where did that come from, then? Legend? Uh, yeah, Jewish legends. Because of the Akkadian language that there was a demon in Akkadian that had a similar sound to Lilith, and so later Jewish legends developed. Okay? That's not from the Bible so is what I'm saying. Biblical. No, the Bible, it just yeah, means it a night, be... a noct- 
It's just a nocturnal animal in the Bible. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. So glad you called. Uh, We're going to speak with Ruben in Lombard, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Can you ask your question really quick? Because we're up against the uh, end of the show. Yeah. Quick. Shouldn't, shouldn't you be preparing yourself to be part of that 144,000? No, because I'm going to be raptured if I if the Lord returns. Well, I don't want to talk about rapture because I don't believe in that. I don't think it's scriptural. The origins, you know, you should investigate that more. Yeah, you think I don't know anything about that, huh? Where did it come ah. from? <laughs> I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from... First Thessalonians chapter four, no, 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 no. verse 17, which says we who are still alive will be caught up. It's the word harpazo, which in Latin is translated rapture. And therefore, uh, in English, we call it the rapture. But I think I would call it the great snatch. Don't you think? That's a, that's a good word for it. It means to be snatched up. It's very biblical, don't you think? Well, I will still disagree with you, but shouldn't people... Wait, wait, wait. Do you, Do you disagree with Paul about no, hold on, hold on, 1 Thessalonians 4.17? Come on, it's in there. It's right Doctor, there. Hold on. Jesus Jesus himself said he's not <laughs> praying that you take, be taken out of the world, but be prepared to stand firm during yeah. tribulation. I, so I do believe that we need to be prepared for tribulation, but not the tribulation. Let me just say one last thing. For you, uh, Reuben, in First Thessalonians chapter one, verse ten, what it says is we need to wait for His Son from heaven, who delivers us from the coming wrath. In First Thessalonians five nine, it says God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. The tribulation period will be wrathful; God's wrath on earth. And he will deliver those who love him, whether you believe in it or not. He will do it. And I'm really grateful to God for that. That's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially those of you who called or sent in questions. You make Open Line possible. Really appreciate it. Keep in touch with us during the week by going to openlineradio.org. That is all the links you need about our current resource on how to become a kitchen table partner. Thanks, Trisha McMillan and Courtney Young for all your help. Keep reading the Bible, and we're going to talk about it, not next week for some of you stations, but for most of you stations. And Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.